ברוכתה אדוני אלוהינו מלך העולם, אשר קידשנו במצוותיו וציוונו לעסוק בדברי תורה. והרב נא אדוני אלוהינו את דברי תורתך בפינו ופי עמך בית ישראל. ונהיה ענקנו וצאצאינו וצאצאי עמך בית ישראל, כולנו יודעי אשמך ולומדי תורתך לשמה. ברוכתה אדוני המלמד תורה לעמו ישראל. ברוכתה אדוני אלוהינו מלך העולם. אשר בחר בנו מכל העמים, ונתן לנו את תורתו. ברוך אתה אדוני נותן התורה. הקדוש ברוך הוא, I ask in your name and in the name of the Mashiach, I ask Hashem that you will grant refuah shlema to David ben Elza. May his back pain and his stomach ache in the upper right. be brought to fullness and rectification of good strength, good health, and a relief from all the pain. May you create cures and do wonders for David ben Elza among all the sick and those who are in need of healing among Israel. Can you hear our tone? Mashiach now. This week I want to begin This podcast is a dedication to the Refua Shlema of David Ben Elza, and I would like to read from Torah Wellsprings, and I want to begin with this week's Torah portion of Vayera, which is not to be confused with Vayera, which is in Parsha, or in the uh, Sefer of Bereshit, but in the Sefer of Shemot, it's Vayera. And it's spelled a little differently, so that's good. But in chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Ve-heveti etkem el ha'aretz asher nasati et yadi latet ota le-Avraham le-Yitzchach ul-Yakov ve-natati ota. Which means, I shall bring you to the land about which I raise my hand to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I shall give it to you as a heritage. I am Hashem. Torah Wellspring brings down Yalkut Hadash. This is on page 119 if you have Torah Wellsprings by Alexander Zushia Friedman. The Hebrew term Moreshah, which is for heritage, occurs twice in the five books of Moshe. In the above cited verse, in connection with the land of Israel, and again in Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 4. In connection with the Torah. The Torah, which Moshe commanded to us, is a heritage of the community of Yaakov. which is uh, Kehilat Yaakov, the community of Yaakov, from the word Kahal. And it goes to say, this is to teach us that the heritage represented by the land of Yisrael can remain ours only if we conduct ourselves there in keeping with the statutes of the Torah. Without the Torah, the land of Yisrael has no justification for survival. As it is written, and he shall give it to them, the lands of the nations, so that they may keep 
his statutes. And again, this is from the Yalkut Hadash. So it says, and he will give to them the lands of the nations so that they may keep his statutes. A question was asked of a Jew from today, like in today's generation, um, what is the native land of the Jews? Where do, where do Jewish people come from? You know, like you have all these different people groups and everybody has their homeland. Well, what's the homeland of the Jews and where was their origin? Like when you go back to the 12 tribes. And it was funny because the answer was, well, that's kind of complicated because <laughs> you see, uh, and it, he basically the, uh, the conversation did not continue in that area because it's a lot to discuss and there's really no fruit in discussing concepts of Torah with a person who is number one, not open to Torah concepts. And number two, if they're not willing to to listen to those concepts, if they already have their agenda, they already have their ideologies and things like that, you further sharing anything is, what do we call it? Um, Admor Yeshua says, don't cast your pearls before swine. So that, <laughs> so, but we should all know that Yisrael was birthed in Egypt. Now, Egypt had already had a portion of it that belonged to Sarah. And Abraham had already purchased a piece of land in the land of Canaan as the beginning of the owning of Eretz Israel. At that time, it was called Canaan. So beginning with the cave of Machpelah, which is in the area of Hebron. That's where we began purchasing the land through Abraham and then all the way down to Goshen because when Abraham and Sarah, our patriarch and matriarch, went to Mitzrayim, that's when we were given that gift from that pharaoh at the time. And this is why Goshen was the choicest part of the land that we got to dwell in during our descent to Mitzrayim. So we were birthed in the place that actually belonged to us, that was actually connected to the stretch of the land of Israel. If you look at the original uh, promise to Abraham and the borders, the land, the, the land of Israel was supposed to extend all the way towards Mitzrayim, towards Egypt. And so it would include part of a little bit of part of Africa anyway, not all of it, obviously. So if you really think about it, we were actually birthed in the the kind of like the end point of the land. It's like, it's just kind of crazy to think about that. But anyway, um, and then at that time, when the world was divided into three, now let's go all the way back before Abraham, uh, we had Noach, we had his son Shem, Ham, and Yafet. So they were supposed to divide the world in three. Shem got the portion that Israel sits in, and then Yafet got more of the west, and Ham got like the south and towards uh, more southeast, like Arabia and all that. But Shem had this middle part. But Ham and his descendants were like, no, we won't do this. We're going to take over Shem's portion as well. And Yafet's like, that's not a good idea. So this is why one of Ham's descendants is 
Canaan, and this is why the the nations of the land of Canaan became a thing. So when Israel is birthed out of Mitzrayim, we're called to go back to the land because now we will have the Torah. Now we will have the regeneration that was supposed to happen uh, because remember this one time uh, all mankind was supposed to die. We had the impurity of the, the serpent and all these things. And so uh, we were supposed to be reestablishing a new humanity, bringing about an end to death and the final redemption, the messianic era, the building of the temple, or the going like to the nations. We we're supposed to start doing all that, but that didn't really get to happen. However, uh, we were going back to the land with the Torah being led by Moshe and something happened with that. So, uh, we Moshe was succeeded by Yehoshua ben Nun, and so he led us in, and then we took on the 31 kings, took 14 years, but we didn't really finish the job because we decided to get sidetracked and say, oh, we want a king. And Hashem was like, I'm your king. <laughs> but anyway, so all of that to say, where is our native land? Our native land technically is the the land of Canaan, which has been, has been renamed since the uh, the Roman Empire to Palestine. And this is why when you look in the books, sometimes in ancient texts, you'll see the land of Palestine as opposed to the land of Canaan or the land of Israel. So the land's name was changed and the presumed Messiah's name was changed. And so many other things have been changed. So this is why it's it's just kind of crazy. But anyway, all of that to say, what is the simple answer? The simple answer is we were birthed in Mitzrayim. We purchased a little bit of the land of Israel, uh, the Machpelah cave, and we were birthed in Goshen. And we came back into Eretz Israel. So our land, our language, and our history is quite complex. And uh, there's seemingly a confusion. Why is Judaism not just a religion? Uh, what, like, how is it a race of people? How is it a civilization? How is it a culture? Those things. But as you can quickly see, unless you're really, unless you're willing to take the time and have the discussion, it, it's like, okay, so are we really ready to talk about this? Because we can answer your question. Now, I mentioned all of that because we just read about the Morasha, the heritage. If you look at Morasha, it's Mem, Bav, Resh, Shin, He. And to do a quick gematria, it's the Shin, I take the big letters to the small letters. So the Shin, 300, Resh, 200, so that's 500. Then we got the Mem, which is 40, 546. And then, because um, the, the Bav, so the Mem and the Bav, 46, so 546 plus another 5 is 551. Now, what's interesting about this is Yisrael, the gematria of Yisrael is 541. So if you added a Yud to Yisrael, you would get 551. So what's interesting is the land of Yisrael was uh, the seven nations that we were supposed to get plus the three extra lands of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and I forget who the other one is, but it was three extra pieces of land, which we actually got, 
during our uh, end of our time in the wilderness because Sichon and Og decided to attack us sooner than they were supposed to. So we ended up getting those three pieces of land, but obviously we didn't keep them. But that land was promised to us in the Messianic era. That's a whole nother drosh for another time. But just to say there are supposed to be 10 actual areas of land that we actually were to get and conquer and receive. And you can actually see that in the word Morasha. So uh, and then just a, another quick thing that you see in Morasha is Moshe Resh Vav, which Resh Vav is 206. If you did the Im HaKolel, which means adding one, it becomes 207. 207 is the Gematria of Or, which is light. So the light of Moshe, what light did Moshe bring to Israel? None other than the Torah. The Torah is known as the light of the world. And then you also have the fact that 207, if you mirrored it, put a mirror in front of 207, it becomes 702. And that is the Shabbat. And what's very interesting about this, especially if you read in Legends of the Jews and other Midrashim, you see what was the gift that Moshe gave to Yisrael during our exile in Mitzrayim, the Shabbat. So we began studying and taking a day of rest and not rest in like, oh, I, I need to uh, stop because I'm tired. But uh, Manucha is like a, a security type of refuge rest. So that was the kind of rest we were given during our slavery in Mitzrayim, and that was given to us by Moshe. So you can also see this in Morashah. And one more thing, the first letter of this verse, Shemot 6.8, is a Vav. The last letter of this verse is a He. So you have the Vav He, and these are the last two letters of Hashem's name that will be added to the yud and hey that is currently incomplete and when the vav and the hey is added to hashem's name that will make hashem's name complete and that will be a sign that we are done with the exile so receiving the land with the torah and the the final uh redemption is a is a whole nother connection here that we can even see in this verse which is hashem fulfilling the ultimate uh, promise that he made to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The next part of Torah Wellsprings I want to share is also uh, from the Haftarah. So the Haftarah this week is Yehezkiel, which is Ezekiel chapters 28 through 29. But I want to key in on verse 29.3, and this is again from Wellsprings of Torah. I think I called it Torah Wellsprings earlier. Slika. Most springs of Torah, page 124. There is a source called uh, Torah Wellsprings, and uh, that's also another beautiful source, but we're in Wellsprings of Torah. Okay, so Yehezkiel 29.3 says, Behold, I am against you, Paro, Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Mitzrayim. Alternative rendering Behold, I am above you, Paro, king of Mitzrayim. Paro always boasted of being the mightiest absolute ruler on earth. With no one above him. So Paro sounds a lot like Nimrod, 
Nebuchadnezzar, and many other individuals that have been uh, raised up and also have fallen throughout the uh, ages of mankind. But anyway, it says, in fact, he regarded himself as a deity, saying, I do not know the Lord, therefore the Lord said to him, Behold, I am above you, Paro, Melech, Mitzrayim. Which is interesting because when you look at Melech Mitzrayim, that literally means the king of bondage. And Hashem is saying, I'm above bondage. I am the place where freedom is. But a person who is not only in bondage, but a master of it, they have no concept of what freedom is. Because when you're stuck somewhere and when you're a person who keeps people locked in somewhere, you're creating an experience as well, like you're creating an atmosphere and an environment of bondage. So you're closed minded. The people you have your hands on are closed minded. But if you're a person of freedom, you also like spread that freedom. So if you're a person who anchors yourself in bondage, you will spread bondage. If you're a person who's anchored in freedom, you'll also spread that freedom. This is why it's so beautiful to think of who did Hashem send to redeem us? First, he sent Moshe, and finally, he will send his salvation, which is his Yeshua, Matzmiak, Karen Yeshua, which is related to the Zamak, Yeshua, the branch, and the one who will sprout forth the salvation of God. And you can just see within these names, you, you get the picture and also an understanding just from the words and the language and the title and the name that there's freedom here. And so Moshe, drawn from the water, that's what his name stands for. It also stands for rescuer, which if a person is drawn from the water, they've been rescued. And Advar Yeshua teaches us that what is the water? That is the nations. And what does the nations represent? That's the, the exiles and the bondages that we've been through. So the torrential, tumultuous waters that we have to be rescued from. And the the sprouting and the branch and the salvation of Hashem's like someone who's out in the water drowning, you know, you stick out a branch, stick out an arm to them and you draw them in, you know, throw out a life raft, those kinds of things. So we have these pictures here of being rescued from the midst of oppression, uh, torture, anguish, all these kinds of things. That's what power represented. He was a person who created a lot of anxiety. He created a lot of panic, a lot of pandemonium. He created a lot of uh, angst and anguish, a lot of oppression and things like that. So that's who Pyro is. And he's saying, I am a deity. People should worship me. And Hashem tells him, again, back to Wellsprings of Torah, know that I am master, know that I am your master and can deal with you as I see fit. So this one time Hashem is the potter and humanity is the clay. So the clay in the hand of the potter, that picture is going on right now. It says this may be likened to the case of a servant in a palace who boasts to a visitor that he is the sole owner of the palace, only to be interrupted by the coming of his master who says to him, do not misrepresent your position. I am your master, and you are subject to my authority. That's from the Kohav Miyakov, 
Now, what's amazing about this is there is also a parable, a uh, mashal, of the uh, the vineyard and the people who are the uh, the workers of that vineyard, and how the servants are sent and the son is sent, and then the master ultimately shows up and it's like, "What are you guys doing?" And you kind of get a picture of that because. Mitzrayim was supposed to host the children of Israel and not put us through this ridiculousness. We were supposed to be like servants to them, like the way that the Torah teaches us in Mishpatim, that you have a a servant who comes into your home for a limited amount of time, and you really have to treat them even better than you treat yourselves. Check that parasha out. It's amazing. If you thought slavery or servitude, bond servant, if you thought that was a horrible thing in the Torah, you might want to check on that because it's it's way deeper than you think, even so much so that the Haftor of that Torah portion is just absolutely telling because one of our biggest problems that we ran into uh, later as we entered into the land and things like that got closer to the destruction of the first temple that uh, we didn't want to let our servants go. <laughs> it was like the... The Shemitah year would come up, and it'd be like, it's time for them to go. And we'd be like, no, we don't want them to go. The servant didn't want to go. And then the Yovel would come up, and it was like, no, we don't want to go. We can't go. And the Shem was like, listen, you were actually supposed to go during the Shemitah year. You've actually had six previous times, because you count seven Shemitahs, Shemitot, and then you're supposed to release them on that following year, if not that Shemitah year, definitely the the Yovel, the Jubilee year, which follows those uh, seven Shemitah cycles. So you've had seven chances to let people go and you haven't. The person themselves is supposed to not want to be in servitude because ultimately they're Hashem's servant, but yet they're saying, Hashem, I want to be a servant of your servant. And Hashem is like, what are you doing? Like, I'm the one who redeemed you from Mitzrayim. I redeemed you from slavery. Don't you quote this every day, morning and night? That's the Shema. That's the prayer we're praying when we talk about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our resources, with all our might, with all our strength, with all of our, like, variness. Like, that was supposed to be a thing, and now it's not. And this was a problem that Hashem really rebuked us on. Like, you just be you're just keeping these people in uh in uh like an indefinite servitude time like that's not right but the people who were the servants and the people who were the masters like they there was such a bond and a relationship there and uh it was such a good treatment and so you know it was just kind of like we don't want to give this good thing up and it's like you guys can hang out as friends go out to coffee or something like, don't keep violating the laws of the Torah for this. But uh, what's amazing about this is that that's how Egypt was supposed to be for us. We were supposed to have a little bit of pressure there. Like, what are you guys doing in Egypt? Like, okay, it's a little tough. You can't keep the mitzvah. You can't hear a shim. Okay, work on that. But it was like, no, Mitzrayim was like, no, we're we going to run this. We're going to do this. We're going to, like, make these people suffer. We're going to make them pay. And it was really because Paro was that way, and the people followed the heart of their king. And the king is actually supposed to follow Hashem, but uh, that didn't happen. So, Hashem was like, I got things for that. 
So that's Torah Wellsprings. And the last thing I want to mention is from Seasons of the Soul by Rabbi Abraham Aryeh Trugman Shlita. We are currently headed into what is known as Tuba Shabbat. And uh, Tuba Shabbat is such a beautiful holiday. It's very mystical. And what I love about this is that um, the section of Seasons is on page 447. And the title is From the Practical to the Mystical. Because Tuba Shabbat is all like it's super Kabbalistic expialidocious. Like it, it really is. It's like so amazing. And this kicks us off into Purim and into Pesach and into Counting the Omer and into Shavuot. And what should what should have originally in the cycle been the Messianic era. But, you know, 17th of Tammuz, instead of going into the land, was uh, we're not going into the land. What happened and culminating into Tisha B'Av, like. Worst things happen, so we have this three weeks of like black hole that we're overturning and fixing. We're rebuilding the portal, if you will. That's right, Hashem. Uh, that will be the time that we enter into the final messianic era, if not sooner. So, can you hear our tone, Mashiach? Now, but anyway, Tuba Shabbat is the kickoff to all this. You have this huge, like, like uh, it's a turn, it's a shift. It's the reverso card on the uh, Uno deck. Like, if you're playing Uno, you throw down the reverse. It's like, turn this thing around. That's what Tuba Shabbat is. And it all really starts with what are we doing in the upper faculties of our, our will, our pleasure, and our faith. Our emunah, our ratzon, our tanug. Emunah being our faith. Uh, our tanug being our pleasures. Like the oneg, ta'oneg, and then um, our raton, which is our will. Those are the upper levels of our uh, mental faculties that are beyond our bodies. So we're using all of that at this point. And that directly connects to the night of Pesach, where we sit at the Seder table, because Hashem rectifies all of that. And then for the following seven weeks where we're counting the Omer, we're rectifying the lower seven aspects of our our existence, which is known as the emotional uh, attributes from Chesed to Malkut, which is loving kindness all the way to our sovereignty, our kingdom. And um, so it's just this really beautiful thing of preparing that process now you know, is what we're really moving into. So we're finishing out the month of Tibet. And uh, this is a very, like, it's a friction, pression, you know, uh, pressure, not pression, uh, friction, pressure, uh, some frustration. This is the month of uh, anger uh, and our spiritual sense. But that's a whole nother thing for another time, just to say that, uh, Coming out of anger, we're going to move into this month of Shabbat where we really start to get a little bit more mystical. I don't know the sense of the month of Shabbat yet, but I will uh, and be able to share that at a later time. But just to mention from Seasons of the Soul, it says Tuba Shabbat is the 15th day of the month of Shabbat.
because two, which is the tet in the vav, tet is nine, vav is six, nine plus six is 15. So if you put the tet and the vav together, that makes the word two, and that's where we get 15 from. So two beshavat, which is on the 15th of Shabbat. Anyway, it says is first mentioned in the Mishnah, where it is listed as one of the four New Years in the Jewish calendar, specifically Rosh Hashanah, one one. Now, what's crazy is you don't see this in the written Torah. You you have to have the oral Torah for this. It says specifically the Tuba Shavat relates to the mitzvah of tithing produce. Because we learn in the written Torah, you're supposed to tithe. But did you know there's a Yom Tov, a minor Yom Tov, that is? It's not a Shabbat day. You actually don't take off of work. But this is where you uh, start getting ready for your tithing of your produce. Because you're supposed to tithe your grain, your wine, and your oil. It says, according to the Torah... Before the fruits of our labors can be enjoyed, certain portions have to be offered and shared with the Kohanim, which are the high priests, the Leviim, which are the Levites, and the poor, which are the Onim. And it says each year represents or requires its own particular gifts. And since different fruits blossom and produce at varying times of the year, Tuba Shabbat marks the new year for trees in relation to which year the fruit is counted within. There is the mitzvah of Orlah, the, the commandment of the forbidden fruit. You're not supposed to eat of the tree for the first three years. The fourth year, you bring it to the Kohanim, the Leviim, and the poor. Eat it in Yerushalayim. And then the fifth year and on, you can enjoy uh, anywhere and without having to wait you can just start going now. And this is, by the way, a rectification of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil back in Ghani Din. See the Kehot Humash uh, during Parsha Tadzria and also Parsha, I believe, Parsha Kedoshim. So, but Kedoshim and more, somewhere around there, it's uh, Leviticus 23. But you can check that out and go from there. And then I want to skip down to where it says a connection between the three successive full moon holidays is wine. So you'll have Tuba Shabbat this is the 15th of the month of Shabbat. We we drink wine. There's a little setter for this. And it's actually you have to look into the Kabbalistic sources to find all this information. And if you don't know her, you should know her. Her name is Rebidzin Sarah. Yehudit Schneider, and uh, she has, what is the name of her thing? What is it? Oh, I'm going to look this up real quick, because she is amazing. A stillsmallvoice.org. If you don't have that tab, please tab it. It's incredible. Um, she has a whole setter. Uh, of the Tuba Shabbat, she has Eating as a Tikkun, a beautiful book. Why are there certain things that we do when we're eating, before and after and during? It's, it's incredible.
Anyway, that's the, the 15th of Shabbat. One month later, the next full moon, the full moon happens on the 15th of the month. So if you're ever outside and look and see the full moon in the sky, that's because it is the middle of the Jewish month. So the next one is Purim, which happens on the uh, the 14th of Adar. So and then there's the Shushan Purim on the 15th. So on that, that's the next time we have wine and celebration and feasting and joy. That's the mitzvah. There's four specific mitzvot that you do. But again, that's another drosh for another time. And then after that is the really big one, Pesach. And we have the four cups of wine at the Seder, which is really five cups. But again, that's another drosh for another time. All these beautiful things that you can just see, like one thing leads to another. So it's always really hard to just kind of stay on track because it's like, can we go down that tangent? But anyway, we have three successive full moons where we're drinking wine. So check this out. It says central to the Tuba Shabbat Seder is drinking four cups of wine or grape juice. You can also have grape juice. You just ha- It needs to be from the vine. Uh, This is on page 449, in case you were wondering, of Seasons of the Soul. We begin with white wine representing winter, hibernation, and exile. We then add increasing amounts of red wine within each succeeding cup until the summer when birth and redemption are represented by a full cup of red wine. So we're going from this white to this red, which is interesting because the the whole fact of our purification going from our crimson stains to white as wool, that's just so crazy that we're doing the opposite with the wine as far as the color change. But going on to say here that the final cup is a red with a dash of white to indicate the start of a new cycle in the fall. On Purim, of course, we drink wine and lots of it to celebrate our deliverance from the evil designs of Haman. So you probably don't want to go past four cups. (laughs) If you stick to the the two to three glasses, that's like a a really good way to to not uh, get drunk because you don't want to do that. But um, no more than four really is, is a very wise thing. And again, you could do grape juice. All that to say, this process culminates with the four cups of wine on Pesach when we celebrate our redemption from its rain. So we're doing a season change. We're doing a deliverance from evil into a fullness of redemption. And it's going in stages, three stages of 15 and 15 plus 15 plus 15 is 45. 45 is the gematria of Geula, redemption. Also of Adam. And there is a divine name of Hashem called Hashem Ma, which is also 45. But anyway, it goes on to say related, the Talmud teaches wine goes in and secrets come out. Every ravine 65a. In a certain sense, we can relate to the wine of these three holidays as the sap 
of new spiritual energy gradually rising from the most hidden depths of our souls until its full potential is revealed on Pesach, when we personally emerge out of our own narrow psychological and spiritual straits represented by Mitzrayim. The sap of new spiritual energy, and this has to come from our upper faculties. We're like bringing it down from the crown of our spiritual reality. Part of who, the biggest part of who we are, the most of who we are, resides in the heavenlies. Our root, there we go, our soul root is in the heavenlies. We're here in our physical bodies, only the branches of our soul is really getting to us. So each day when we receive our soul back into our body, it's another branch, another limb of our actual self projecting down into this world. So you're going to bring down things from the root of who you are into this world, like make your tree grow. You're an upside down tree. So men are like trees of the field, says in Devarim. And then when Admor Yeshua healed one individual who was blind and when Yeshua, when Yeshua asked him, what do you see? He says, I see men like trees. And then we read in the Tehillim, the psalm, which is the psalm of the day for Shabbat, Psalm 92, says that we'll be like trees planted in the house of Hashem. Now, you don't literally plant trees in, in the temple, but men going to the temple were like a bunch of trees in the courtyard of the temple, like at this field of sacred apples, if you will, to keep it on the Kabbalistic tip. Since we're already into a lot of Kabbalah right now for a Tuba Shabbat prep, but uh, all that to say is you're you're bringing down some some new juice, some new sauce, as they would say. And I, I pray that we're all able to connect to that and really connect to our higher selves and emerge out of our narrow psychological and spiritual straits. We all need to be rescued and freed from Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is crazy. It's confusion. It's hatred. It's animosity. It's a lot of tension where it shouldn't be. But what's going to overcome that is all of us really getting down, getting up, I should say, to our soul roots, bringing down that new energy, and it's actually channeled through this Hagafen, which is the same letters as Hagefen, this vine. And so working and bringing down the fruit of the vine through ourselves. And what's amazing about that is the, the play on words of bring down the fruit of divine, bring down divine fruit. You know, instead of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, eat from the tree of life. So you manifest life in the tree of life. Bring it down and you got to bring it down and you channel it to this cup. And this cup has the, the liquid, has the juice in there. And you're, you're going to charge it up with spiritual energy through your thoughts and your recitation of the blessings. And then you're going to ingest that into your physical being so that your physical being can put that out into physical reality. Wine goes in and secrets, Bezrat Hashem come out. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vekaye Olam Nata Betokainu Baruch Adonai Notain HaTorah Medavid Ben Elza 
be granted a complete refuah and a renewing of his back and his stomach. Ken Yehi Ratzon. Mashiach now.